grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Those are the words of the Apostle John as he begins recording the book of Revelation, as he gets ready to send it to the seven churches of Asia Minor and preserved and presented to us as the Word of God down through the years. John introducing us to Jesus Christ, unveiled, revealed, for who he is, the King. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Well, it's been quite a week, hasn't it? We've moved past Palm Sunday, where we had that, that fantastic parade, that loud crowd streaming into the city of Jerusalem with Jesus, singing his praises Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Singing praises to him, embracing him as their king, as their Messiah, the promised deliverer who was to come. Joyfully pointing to Jesus and saying together, here comes the king. Here comes the king. Well, we've moved past Palm Sunday. We've moved through Good Friday. The day, just a few days after that parade, when Jesus' friends and followers and his enemies could agree on one thing. He sure doesn't look like a king. He, he sure doesn't look like a king. Hmm. The day when the religious leaders, the people who had been entrusted with the task of pointing people to Jesus who stood, looked him in the eye, and yelled, We have no king but Caesar. Jesus, who was rejected and mocked and crucified wearing a crown of thorns to ridicule him for his claim to be the king. And yet Jesus is the king. And as we saw on Friday, they totally misunderstood why he had even come at that time. Well, now we've arrived at the day of resurrection. He is risen indeed. And this morning, this Easter Sunday, outside and, and in here, we have already walked through and read together the gospel accounts of the empty tomb. And together we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. His victory over sin and death. Allowing Him to offer us both forgiveness and eternal life. Aren't you grateful? Friends, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the return of Jesus changes everything. Everything. We celebrate today not with the words, He has risen. That would be impressive, wouldn't it? That Jesus has risen. 
but it wouldn't make him stand out as unique. Others have risen. Lazarus, in John chapter 11, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has risen. The widow's son from the town of Nain in Luke chapter 7, he, he has risen. Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8, she has risen. Matthew 27 tells us that at the very moment Jesus died, the tombs of many holy people were opened up and they returned and came into the city as a testimony to what God was doing at the cross. And they, they have risen, but they have all died again. The difference, the difference is that Jesus is risen. He is risen. Amen? Amen. Jesus is risen and He will return and He will reign forever as King of kings and Lord of lords. I invite you to join me this morning as we turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. The people saw Jesus on Good Friday. They saw him come in gentleness and humility, and he didn't look like a king. That wasn't what they were expecting. They saw him die, humiliated and apparently defeated at the hands of men, and he didn't look like a king. That's not how they expected a king to do things. It's not the way they they anticipated things turning out, this crown of thorns when they had hoped for so much more. But I want to briefly show you this Easter Sunday morning three times when there is absolutely no mistaking who is the king. In John chapter 1, sorry, Revelation chapter 1, John begins this book by telling us in verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was exiled there for preaching the gospel. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea, the seven churches on that trade route around Asia Minor. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. One like a son of man. Daniel talked of one like a son of man, did he not? I saw one like a a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When you picture Jesus, what do you see? What comes to mind? We all have a picture that just came into our minds, don't we? We've seen pictures painted of Jesus, haven't we? 
We've seen pictures of Jesus painted as a baby in a manger. We've seen pictures of Jesus painted as a 12-year-old boy in the temple, answering and asking questions with the temple leaders. We've seen pictures of Jesus painted as a shepherd with sheep. We've seen pictures of Jesus painted sitting on a rock with children gathered around. We've seen pictures of Jesus feeding the 5,000, pictures of Jesus walking on the water. We've seen pictures of Jesus in the parade on Palm Sunday coming down the, the, the hills into the city. We've seen pictures of Jesus on the cross. Why do we never picture Jesus this way? Why is He not painted like this? Because, friends, this is who He is. This is what He's like. We're told that when He came here, He took on the form of of a servant. The one of us being found in human likeness. Don't get too attached to that image. This is who Jesus is. This is Jesus in His glory. John the Apostle had been Jesus' best friend as Jesus walked this earth and and taught and healed. For those three years, John was the best friend of Jesus. What? That fascinates me about John. What was he like? What was he like that he was the best friend of Jesus? John knew Jesus well. He had heard Jesus teach. He had seen Jesus respond to different things. He had witnessed Jesus in all kinds of different circumstances. He had been there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, John thought he had seen it all. He had seen the resurrected Jesus. But in this moment, exiled for preaching Christ, Jesus comes and he speaks to John and John turns to look at him and John, who knew Jesus so well, fell at his feet as though dead. Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though though dead. He, He totally overwhelmed like Ezekiel was in Ezekiel chapter 1. You and I are told in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or clung to, but instead He made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him. Him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the name of Jesus, we are not to laugh. At the name of Jesus, we are to bow and say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's at His name. What in the world will we do when we get to finally see Him face to face? If you tell me this morning that when you get to glory and see Jesus, you have a list of questions you're going to ask or you're going to demand some some explanations for some things, you are going to be sorely disappointed. 
John, who knew Jesus so well and had interacted with him so personally all those years, he saw Jesus as he is and he fell on his face as though dead. Why? Because he's Jesus. He's the King of glory. He's the King of glory. And here is John on his face. What does Jesus do? Reaches out his hand like he'd done so many times. He reaches out his hand. And he touches John. And he says, fear not, John. Fear not. Oh, John had heard those words many times before. He'd heard Jesus express them to others. He'd heard Jesus express those words to him and to his friends as they were fighting the storm after the feeding of the 5,000 going across the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and fighting the storm. And they look up and, and someone's walking towards them and they are terrified. And what does Jesus say? <laughs> Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. John is full of fear. Why? Because much like Isaiah before the throne room of God, when we see Jesus as He is, we know we do not belong here. I do not belong in His presence. But Jesus, Jesus reaches out His hands and He touches John and He says, fear not, John. Why? Because John belongs to Jesus. John is a friend of Jesus. John is a follower of Jesus. And so he does belong with Jesus. It's okay, John. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Look at who I am. You are mine. It's good for you to be here. Now we're told that when Jesus comes, it will be a time of great fear. Look back to chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail or mourn on account of Him. Even so. Amen. Now that last phrase sounds a little weird. Even so. It's translated a couple of times that way in the book of Revelation. It's, a, it's an attempt at a brief English translation of a simple Greek word, three letters long, that simply means, and, and so it is to be. And so it is to be. Amen, Hebrew. True, trustworthy, surely. When Jesus comes, there will be great grief and fear and mourning on account of Him. Because all who have rejected Him will see Him as He is. And they will say, but we don't belong. And they'll be right. And they will face judgment. Even those who pierced Him will see Him for who He is. No longer mocking Him. No longer looking at a crown of thorns. Oh, they'll be looking at something much different. And the opportunity to respond to mercy and grace extended to them by God through His Son will have passed. And it will be a day of fear. Even those who mocked Him even those who pierced Him. Even this morning, far away, the nation of Sri Lanka, what have we heard? People desperate to get their hands on Jesus, but can't. So what do they do? 
They go after those gathering to worship Him. The day will come when Jesus returns. And it will be a fearful day for many, but not for those who are in Christ. And when John sees Jesus, Jesus says, fear not, John. And then I want you to look and listen to the words of Jesus as he introduces himself in a fresh new way to John. Jesus does not, does not say, John, it's me. Remember? Remember you, you tried to teach me how to fish? John, it's me. Remember how I actually filled your nuts with fish? John, it's me. Remember the time we were going into this village? That's not what he says. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Fear not. Why? Because I am. And before we go any further, we have to look at that phrase very briefly here. I am. Two words in English, two words in Greek. Ego eimi. This is not just the way he's saying, well, I'm this or I'm that. This is a name. Jesus is stating Exodus 3.14 when Moses says, okay, God, who do I tell them sent me? Like I have no name. Who do I say sent me to Pharaoh? You tell him, I am sent you. When, when Jesus in Matthew 14 walked across the water towards the storm, tossed disciples in that boat, he said, do not be afraid. Why? He didn't say, it's me. <laughs> he said, do not be afraid. A go, a me. I am. In John chapter 8, when Jesus talks about Abraham and the religious leader said, are you kidding me? Abraham is our father from so many generations ago. And you've seen Abraham? Jesus looks at them and says, before Abraham was, I am. And they reached down for rocks. Why? To stone him because they knew exactly what he was claiming. I am God. That is God's name. And that is the term Jesus uses when he speaks to John. John, fear not. I am. I am the first and the last. We saw that back in verse 8 of chapter 1. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I'm the beginning and end. There's nothing apart from me. I'm it. In the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 48, this is a title used of God Himself. It's a title for God. He has always been and always will be. And when all the false gods of this world have come and gone, He will remain. He is the one of absolute sovereignty. Fear not, John. I am the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. There is nothing apart from me. I am the, the living one. The living one. The self-existent one. The uncaused one. The eternal one. I am the living one. I died. And behold, 
I am alive forevermore. I died. That phrase is literally, I became dead. (laughs) Get this, John. Remember this? This is a remember when. Jesus says, remember this, John? I became man, and then I became dead. (laughs) And behold, a word of surprise, and behold, (laughs) I'm alive forevermore. Remember, John? You know this stuff. You witnessed this stuff. This is who I am. Here I am. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus, who had said to Martha at the grave of her brother, when she asked Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead, she, she complained to Jesus that he hadn't come to heal Lazarus. Then she, then she says, well, Jesus, God will still give you whatever you want. You can do this. Jesus looked at Martha, and he said, your brother will rise again. And she said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, but that's not what I was talking about. Jesus said to her, I am, there it is again, a goemi. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she replied, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you believe this? The same question rings down through the centuries and lands in our laps today. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? You see, if you don't believe this, it does not change the facts that Jesus is Son of God. That Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That Jesus is the Christ who was to come into the world. Whether you believe or not, that does not change the fact that that isn't the case. But, but, oh, but if you believe that, it changes everything for you. Everything. Forgiveness for your rebellion against God. Eternal life, which isn't a ticket you cash in when you die. It begins right now. A completely different way of living. Living. Following the resurrected one. The returning one. Having eternal life. Everything changes. He is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? He says, I have the keys of death. And Hades. Hades being the the Greek translation of the Hebrew word from the Old Testament, Sheol, meaning the place of the dead. Both the state of death, the, the condition of death, and the place of the dead. I have the keys. Jesus determines who lives and who dies physically, and he determines who lives and who dies spiritually forever. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, the Almighty. He is, in fact, the risen one. And so he looks at John and says, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. John, do not fear. Do not fear. And John looks, and and where was Jesus? He was found amongst the seven lampstands, which represents what? The churches. Present with his people. Present with his people, even now. Island of Patmos, mid-60s A.D., 
John in exile on a lonely cold rock, a prison island, an exile for preaching the gospel, sees Jesus, and there is no mistaking who is the king. There's no mistaking who is the king. He's given some letters to deliver and write, write and deliver to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And after that, after that, verse chapter 4, verse 1 says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speak, calling to me, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And John is then transported into the throne room of heaven. And he sees God ready to pronounce his final edict, his final judgment, his final plan for all time. But there's no one worthy to open the scroll that God has sealed. And everyone in heaven collapses. It's like everything's falling apart. God, from speaking this place into existence, unfolding everything bit by bit, step by step, according to his plan, all the way along, including what still remains in our future before he comes, unfolding it all to this very moment, and at the climatic moment, he holds up the scroll and nobody is worthy to open it. And John collapses in tears and weeps. Look at chapter 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing and as though it had been slain. The seven horns, the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. If nothing else should motivate you to prayer, read that verse again. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There was no mistaking the king. There will be no mistaking the king. When the time comes for that final scroll to be unsealed, for the final declarations of God's judgment to be unveiled. No mistaking who is the king. Look, John, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, 
We love that image, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now there's a king. The root of David, the promised one. Huh, he has conquered. He's conquered. Fantastic. Let's see this glorious king, the promised root of David, this lion, this majestic creature that has conquered. Let's see him. And John looks and what does he see? A slaughtered lion. Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for you, slain for me. And in doing so, has conquered sin. He rose again and he's conquered death. And he is the king. He is the king. One more place I want to show you where there will be no mistaking the king. Turn to Revelation 19. You've heard Revelation 19 at Christmas time in, in Handel's Messiah. You're familiar with the Hallelujah Chorus? It's Revelation 19. Verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And what comes next? Look at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns, and I would submit to you this morning, not one of them will be covered in thorns. On his head, on his head are many diadems, many crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. With just a word, he will win. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus is ultimately revealed to the world for who he is, there will be no mistaking who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No one will be confused. All will see Him for who He is. And He will come wearing many crowns, having conquered all, being the ruler over all, reigning supreme. He is King and there is no other. The King of kings and Lord of lords sent out to judge the earth with absolute authority. There'll be no more laughing. There'll be no more mocking. Amazingly, most will still deny Him and defy Him. Even in that moment, the hardness and the darkness, the hatred of man towards God. But in that moment, there will be absolutely no mistaking who is the king. The day is coming when there will be no more mystery about who is the king. 
The day is coming where people will no longer point to Jesus on a cross with a crown of thorns, saying, He doesn't look like a king. The day is coming when all will see Him for who He is. Are you ready for that day? Revelation chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and ruler of the kings on earth. God's grace extended to you and to me in Jesus. Giving us what we could never earn. Peace. God giving us peace with Himself that we could never earn or achieve or or merit somehow. We could never deserve it. That's the grace and the mercy of God. Aren't you glad? As a pastor, I have people say to me sometimes, you know, God's not fair. And I say, oh, you better believe God's not fair. There is absolutely nothing fair about the cross. That is Jesus taking my sin and yours, my judgment and yours, and that is not fair. But that's mercy, and that's grace, and that is the peace of God offered to us. Aren't you glad? The day is going to come when God is fair because He is just. And when all will be called to account, and we will either stand before Him on our own merits or we'll stand before Him in the righteousness of Jesus because we've embraced His Son. Aren't you grateful for mercy and grace and peace offered to us here and now in these days? To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? This is the one in whom we live. This is the one for whom we live. 2 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus died for all so that all who live would no longer live for themselves but for Him who died for them and was raised again. We are to live our days for Him as we wait for His day. His day. And in Revelation 22, as we come to the, the very end of Scriptures, the Spirit of God and the Bride of Christ, that is all His followers, including us, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Let him who hears say, come. Oh, Jesus, would you come? Would you return soon? Would you return soon? And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jesus turns and says, let the sinners come now before the day arrives when I come. 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 You got a thirst that only God can quench. You come and you take the water of life for free. Is that you? Have you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in your heart God did indeed raise him from the dead? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Revelation ends this way. He who testifies to these things, Jesus himself, says, surely I am coming soon. We join with John, do we not? In saying, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand this morning and sing his praises as we confidently await the return of the risen Lord.
Jesus, the Christ. And as we eagerly anticipate the day, we can shout together, here comes the King. Let's stand together and sing.